What a profiles in lack of courage this is today, exhibited in the House of Representatives. But it does give us an opportunity, however limited the time is, to expose a lot of the myths, like this notion that the other side continues to perpetuate that Social Security and Medicare are entitlements. Newsflash, it's the insurance that the American people have paid for. 10,000 baby boomers a day become eligible for Social Security. The average woman in this country when they retire gets $14,000 annually from Social Security. And for more than half of them, that's all they have to live on. And yet these bastions of courage on the other side would like to cut these programs. These are American citizens who have paid through an insurance program, not an entitlement. Coming up on Nurse Talk, with so much in the news these days, most of us probably missed the vote on the so-called balanced budget amendment. What is it and why should we know about it? We revisit an inspirational interview with renowned humorist and oral cancer survivor, Terry Tate. And we have a Square Needle Award to present to someone who couldn't deserve it more. All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my co-host Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Shane, so nice to have you back in the booth. Were you traveling? Yes, I went on an archaeologic expedition. Really? That sounds exciting. Where the heck did you do that? Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma. <laughs> what in the world would you find but a lot of fracking? <laughs> uh, my parents were there, and I went fishing. Mm. It was nice. Yeah. Fishing? It's nice to go to Oklahoma for a few days. Never got into fishing. <clears throat> What'd you catch? I caught one bass. One bass? Yep. Too much. Yep. I caught one bass, and my dad caught zero fish. So oh, that's just always putting nice. putting that out there. You do what you want with that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you talk to anyone there who was willing to talk about their opinions on the teacher strike? Actually, the teacher strike there has more support than I thought that it was going to. I did talk to quite a few people about it. I think that they are kind of getting it. You know, a couple people were against it, but for the most part, everyone was really supportive of the teachers, and that was a really pleasant surprise. That's really nice to hear. I'm so glad. All right, so switching gears a bit, the clip we heard at the top of the show was the Connecticut Congressman John Larson expressing his opposition to cuts to Social Security and Medicare. This was before Congress voted on the so-called balanced budget amendment. And in a moment, we'll talk with Executive Director of Social Security Works, Alex Lawson. Alex is a frequent guest on Nurse Talk and is one of the foremost experts on Social Security and Medicare. Together, he and his colleague Nancy Altman provide critical education, activism, and truth about these programs. Shane, a few weeks ago, Paul Ryan and his Republican caucus voted on a so-called balanced budget amendment. While it sounds like a vote for mom and apple pie, every politician who supports it will be voting to cut Social Security. Legislation that would surreptitiously steal Social Security's $2.9 trillion surplus has been defeated, but 97 percent of Republicans voted for it. 
Ryan and his caucus have so far been thwarted in their efforts to cut Social Security, Medicare, or Medicaid because doing so is extremely unpopular. They would love to go after Social Security through the undemocratic reconciliation process, but because Social Security doesn't add a penny to the deficit, past Congresses have made sure that today's Republicans can't cut Social Security through that closed, expedited process, so enter this the BBA. With us is the Executive Director of Social Security Works, Alex Lawson. Alex, so great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on. Great. So please give us the who, what, where, and how of the balanced budget amendment. I think one thing that we agree on is that the Republicans are good at messaging things. So I basically refuse to call it the balanced budget amendment because it has nothing to do with that. And the name makes it seem kind of popular. It should be called the reaching their hands into our pockets and stealing our money to give it to billionaires act. But for the sake of brevity, I'll just call it the BBA. The BBA really is just a process change that the Republicans and their paymasters on Wall Street have been trying to push through either legislatively or through constitutional amendments that would allow them to steal our earned benefits. It would allow them to bypass the protections that are in place around our earned benefits. For example, with Social Security, Social Security is a self-funded system. We pay for it out of each paycheck. It's our money. And that's recognized by the fact that the Congress can't use that money for anything other than Social Security. Congress is not actually involved in that process. And the BBA would allow them to steal that money. It's as simple as that. And so this $2.8 trillion, they basically would not be allowed to use that, and they would need to start reconciling how much they bring in every year. Is that how that works? It would basically just allow them to disregard the fact that that $2.9 trillion is from premiums, right? So people have been paying in, and they've been in many ways pre-funding their own retirement. So that money can only go. It's held in trust for the workers. And what the BBA would do is actually allow them to pretend that it doesn't exist. And Mm -hmm. by pretending that it doesn't exist as a dedicated revenue stream, they can then cut our benefits, which the consequence of is actually stealing that money. It is like many of these things, a pretty complex process change, but they only have one game plan, and it's stealing our money and giving it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. Uh, And that's what the BBA does through a somewhat complex process change that would allow them to do that. Right. So, Alex, what happens next then? Will they try to pass this amendment again, which I'm sure they will? And is there something else we should watch out for? You should always be watching the constitutional amendment process because the Koch brothers and their ilk have been, I know your listeners know this, they've been on this same track since the Powell memo back in the 70s said that the corporations need to seize control of the state by doing this exact thing. So they have a long-term plan here. Uh, So it will return. It will return legislatively. It will return Um, also through trying to get the state legislatures to pass that they want a constitutional assembly at where they will pass a BBA. And that is another path that they're taking. 
I will say that when they bring it up legislatively like this and they don't have two-thirds of the seats, it is more so actually just saying it's a marker. It's like they tattoo on their arm or their forehead, more likely, owned by Wall Street, right? right? Yeah. That's what the BBA is. because They're not thinking they're going to pass it this time. They're just marking who they work for. That's what you can take everyone who voted for it and say they work for Wall Street. It's like corporate virtue signaling to yeah, Wall Street. exactly. And so the, the Republican constituency doesn't want this either, right? I mean, other than these political leaders, you know, regular Republicans, they're going to be affected by this as much as anyone, right? More so even. Yeah, definitely affected by it. Um, again, the, the trick of the name is really powerful. So if you're actually just asking in a poll or something like that with just the name, you would find probably pretty high levels of support with Republicans and independents. If you then say this is what that would do, you'll find it craters to 10 percent or or lower. That's always where the polling is when it comes to cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, cutting Medicaid uh, and our other benefits that we earn. So I want to repeat, Alex, Social Security does not add a penny to the deficit. Correct. By law, it cannot. It cannot. Right. Not just that it doesn't, but that it cannot ever do it by the construction of it. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's good. So how can people get involved? And are we getting the word out there? Do people understand that this is Paul Ryan and the head of the Republican Party's mission to get rid of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, any of our quote-unquote entitlement programs. You can go to socialsecurityworks.org. Obviously, we follow this stuff uh, day in, day out, all of the different vectors of attacks that are coming at us. We're hearing that they're going to come after the Medicaid expansions and other portions of our health care again coming into November. But it's that November that really gives people their superpowers. We all know all power is in the people. When we stand together, we can't be defeated. And during a political cycle, that's when your powers are absolutely magnified. What I mean by that is show up at a town hall, grill people. Really, you know, if you can't show up at a town hall, you know, use social media, do whatever you can, go to the events that they're having with classic bird dogging strategies and tactics. These are the things that we can do this cycle. And just make the ask simple. You voted for the BBA. Do you support cutting Social Security? Do you support cutting Medicare? These are the things that we can do to make sure that going into November, these guys don't get away with their, uh, I like the phrase, corporate virtue signaling. Uh, I think it's more like corporate corruption signaling. Mm -hmm. uh, And we're holding them accountable for the votes they take. Yeah, absolutely. And a a lot of these, Paul Ryan's on his way out of office. So these guys have carte blanche to do what they want without repercussions. So people have to show up and we have to safeguard these benefits that everyone has paid for and earned. As you say, they are taking money from the most vulnerable people and handing it off to the most wealthy. Absolutely. This is nothing more than a continuation and an acceleration of the upward redistribution of wealth, which really kicked off in 1980 and has not slowed down at all, not for even a single administration or year since then. But we are hitting a real turning point here because the people 
They're not buying it anymore. They're standing up. They're outraged, and they're ready, willing, and are fighting back. I mean, you look at these teacher strikes all around the country, and if that doesn't really show our power, I don't know what else we can do. Uh, but that's exactly right. What we're fighting is this accelerating looting. I mean, Mick Mulvaney, the OMB director, just one of uh, Donald's looters in chief, he went to the American Bankers Association and he just said, give us more money. Give us more money so we can actually destroy consumer protections. I mean, it was so blatant. Yeah, it is. All right. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Alex Lawson, who's the executive director of Social Security Works. For more information on this topic, visit socialsecurityworks.org or nursetalksite.com. Alex, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Just uh, that our voices cannot be silenced when we stand together. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being with us and for keeping us informed about these backdoor maneuvers. Very important. You're listening to Nurse Talk Radio on Progressive Voices. Tune in and all of our broadcast partners. Don't go away. We have the Square Needle Award coming up next and a poignant conversation with humorist, author, and cancer survivor, Terry Tate. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Senator Bernie Sanders recently said that the fight for universal and comprehensive health care is the civil rights battle of our time. He's right. This is an historic battle of the will of the people against the most powerful special interests in the nation. Many polls have shown that we, the people, favor a single-payer plan two to one. But we need your help to win this fight. Go to CaliforniaOneCare.org and sign up now. California One Care, full care for all, for less. What a profiles in lack of courage this is today, exhibited in the House of Representatives. Like this notion that the other side continues to perpetuate that Social Security and Medicare are entitlements. And these bastions of courage on the other side would like to cut these programs not by coming to the floor of the House of Representatives and having a vote on it, but somehow decide that they're going to introduce an amendment where they'll never, ever have to vote on what their constituents actually have to face day in and day out. These are American citizens who have paid through an insurance program, not an entitlement. It's called FICA, the Federal Insurance Contribution Act. Whose contribution? The American people's contribution. If you want to vote to take it away, have the courage to bring up a bill and vote on it. How about we increase the benefits for the people of this country needed? I yield back my time. The gentleman from Virginia is recognized. We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk. (laughs) Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. In a moment, we'll share an interview with humorist, author, and cancer survivor, Terry Tate. Terry jokes that it took her 20 years to write her recently published book, A Crooked Smile, and you're not going to want to miss her story. But Shane, right now, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. Drum roll, please. 
This week, our Square Needle Award goes to a deserving person or organization that has somehow put themselves in the news or otherwise come to light for a not-so-charitable act or cause. And this week's Square Needle Award goes to... GOP lawmaker from Tennessee, Diane Black. If you thought the health care situation in America was bad already, wait till you hear from a GOP lawmaker from Tennessee, Diane Black, who wants to make it even worse. A Reagan-era policy known as Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which prohibits emergency rooms from turning patients away, is apparently too liberal for her, as she believes that ER should be able to turn people away at their own discretion. People would undoubtedly die as a result of this. It's a new low for Republican cruelty, but it shouldn't be too surprising given the direction the party has been going in. And that's why Republican lawmaker from Tennessee, Diane Black, gets this week's Square Needle Award. And P.S. Casey, Miss Black is a former ER nurse. Oh, She's that nurse, really yeah. hurts. Bummer. Coming up next, a remarkable woman shares her journey. RN, author, humorist, and oral cancer survivor Terry Tate will talk about her new book, A Crooked Smile. How do you keep going when the doctor gives you a 2% chance of survival? For Terry Tate, it was a blend of faith, perseverance, prescription strength humor, and most of all, a heart that never quit. A Crooked Smile, a memoir, which is on sale November in 2016, is Terry's irresistible story of her journey through diagnosis, surgeries, the labyrinth of modern healthcare, and into surprising new adventures in self discovery. With her wry ability to illuminate the profound and the absurd, she invites us to experience her ride on the emotional roller coaster of fear and hope, devised long bargaining and bitching sessions with a very stubborn God, and how the truly meaningful and joyous gifts of life always revealed themselves at the most unexpected times. Here with us in the studio is Terry Tate. Terry, so nice to have you with us again, and congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here, and this is really a dream come true. Every time I was on the show before, I imagined being here with a real book in my hands, and here I am after only 24 years of working on it. <laughs> That's great. So, Terry, let's start with the the diagnosis of oral cancer in 1991, the doctors gave you a 2% chance of survival. So what was life like before the diagnosis and then suddenly after? Well, I've said that, that my life was just starting to look pretty good. Um, I had grown up in a sort of hoity-toity suburb where looking good was all that mattered. And I rebelled against that and, you know, didn't care what I looked like and was sort of... Uh, uh, goody two-shoes, but wild and crazy at the same time. Mm -hmm. But right before the diagnosis, I had just met um, yet another would-be husband, and uh, my younger son had just gone off to college. We'd gotten a, a new house in the country that was so beautiful that we kept waiting for the real owners to show mm -hmm. up, and life was looking pretty good. And then with a little spot underneath my tongue, the whole thing started to unravel. So how many surgeries did you end up having, and how long did it take you to finally engage in life again? Well, I had one surgery for the first bout, and they debated doing radiation but decided against it. A year and a half later, I started having symptoms again, and it took them again a few months to diagnose, such that by the time I got the surgery, I had a, a tumor the size of a golf ball where my part of my tongue had been. And that surgery was 24 hours long. Oh, wow. 
Wow. Where they seven times attempted to replace the jaw they had removed with my iliac crest and failed seven times. And you mentioned at some point after the surgery, you began to ask, why did this happen to me? And not in a self-pity way, but with some curiosity. So can you talk about, you said there's a soft voice in your head that you felt like was kind of guiding you towards that answer. Well, prior to the cancer, the only voice in my head was the one that I have since named the vile bitch upstairs. (laughs) And her not enough message was so ubiquitous that I really thought that she was all there was to me until the cancer slowed me down and shut me up because it was oral cancer long enough to really begin to listen to other voices. And I discovered in a fairly dramatic way that I write about in the book, abandoned sort of, I hate to say inner child, it sounds too California, but essentially it was a part of myself that I had neglected. The part that I shut away when I got it as a kid, that my needs weren't going to be met, so better not to have them. And this voice basically said, I had to almost kill you to get your attention. And so part of the healing for me was connecting with this piece of myself, realizing that we had a lot in common, that we both liked feather boas and Hirschman music and walking by the water, and that we weren't all that different after all. And then she led me to that voice that I refer to as my guides, because I live in California, so I can. Right. But um, I believe we all have that connection to divine wisdom. And that there's so much clutter in our lives that we don't hear it. So how long was it between the second surgery and your realization that there was more to you than just the dark voice? A long time. Years Uh, and years. Well, truthfully, the second surgery, they um, ended up, when the hip didn't work, they ended up putting a bar in to replace the part of my jaw that they'd taken. During radiation, that bar came loose and had to be removed in yet another surgery. And then the doctors all wanted to replace that bar. One wanted to use my other hip. One wanted to use another metal bar. Somebody else wanted to use a cadaver jaw. And somebody else was going to use one of my leg bones. And, you know, it was... And this was the first time in the saga that the experts disagreed. And so it was up to me to decide whether or not to have any of those surgeries. Mm -hmm. And I woke up one morning having asked the night before, the night before I went out on the deck and held up my arms and said, please, God, tell me what to do. And, you know, I was hoping that it would be like the big right. voice. The big voice would come out yeah, of the sky, the, right, the, the clouds would part. Right. Yes. right. That didn't happen. And so I went to bed a little disappointed. But the next morning I woke up knowing that I should not have that surgery. And they told me that if I didn't, that what little is left of my lower jaw would gravitate over time and I would be more disfigured than I already was less able to eat and less able to talk. But I knew in my heart that if I got into another patient gown at that point, I was never getting out of one. 
And so hearing your true inner voice, it still was a period of time. No, I'd say that that was my true inner voice. That was the beginning, right. Yeah, and that was, and I'd heard little inklings of it before Mm -hmm. um, when I was asking for guidance about which are the plethora of healing modalities to pursue. Um, But it took a long time to trust it. Mm -hmm. But I did not have the surgery, so I trusted it enough. Terry, in 1994, you took a writing class with famed author Anne Lamott and also wrote a wonderful foreword for the book A Crooked Smile, which you say took over a decade to write. Can you say a little more about that that foreword and your experience with her in that relationship? Absolutely. Uh, I actually discovered her and read in her book on writing, Bird by Bird, that one of the downsides of writing is that sometimes you see that spot in your mouth when you look in the mirror and you're sure that it's oral cancer and the doctor will have to cut out your tongue and no one will ever want to kiss you again as if they ever did. And I tracked her down and sent her a letter and said, by the way, sometimes that really is oral cancer. And, um, and uh, they really do cut out half your tongue. And I think you're the funniest person alive. I'll do anything to be in your presence. So that segues nicely into the next question. How important is humor through this whole journey? It is hugely important. Mm-hmm. I mean, my family certainly is up there on the dysfunctional scale, as most families are. But everybody in my family has a sense of humor. And uh, as dark as things got throughout this whole process, we were able to laugh. Which is great. And that was, you know, I mean, there were lots of times when I couldn't talk. And I must say that witty repartee suffers when you're writing on an Etch-a-Sketch. Yeah, about but, so uh, true. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have this really clever line in yeah. my head, and the conversation was way on down the road before it happened. But, um, but there were little moments of humor and moments of grace. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, that I really think that moments of grace is what life is all about. It's not going to be all grace and greatness, but if you can be alive in those moments, it makes the other stuff uh, tolerable. What would you say to anyone listening that might be faced with a frightening diagnosis or really any any barrier or obstacle right now? Uh, what I would say, for me, the biggest lesson of all this is learning to like myself better. And although I look back at pictures of myself now and see that I was really quite beautiful before the cancer, I like myself better even though the outer covering is disfigured. And for me, the hardest part, other than the fear of dying and leaving my kids, uh, was the fear of being on my deathbed and having the vile bitch show up and say, if only you'd done that macrobiotic diet, you wouldn't be in this mess. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to anybody in any hard situation, which is pretty much life these days, um, is to be kinder to yourself. And I believe that, that really my message is about accepting yourself and your life as is. 
I really feel that it's only with acceptance of things as they are that we get out of God, spirit, whatever's way well enough that things can change. So very true. So you said in the closing of your book, I would like to be as beautiful as I now see I was before cancer, especially on eHarmony. You bet I would, but wouldn't trade the benefits of loving myself from the inside out. And it's so true. it took this journey, it took the cancer for you to be able to start that journey and now work and now live from the inside out. That's right. And I feel like, um, I really do feel like it was almost dying. Yes. I mean, I'm a nurse. Yeah. I, you know, I was codependent in utero. Mm -hmm. It took a yeah. big wake up call for me to see that I needed to take care of myself and stop trying to fix other people. And the irony is that my nursing career was going around the country and talking to nurses about taking care of themselves right. and each other. Interesting. Because I believe in my heart of hearts, and I believed it even before the cancer, but now having spent more time in the patient role than I ever wanted to, I really believe that we are no better to our patients than we are to ourselves and to each other. That's fantastic. Anything else you'd like to share? I'm just really grateful to be here, and I really, really do want to just remember uh, that not to wait for a dramatic wake-up like mine and to really be kind to yourself so that you don't have to go through this. I would agree wholeheartedly. The more you love yourself, the more love you have to give. And I can't say enough that what Terry says is absolutely true, especially for the nurses out there. Do not wait for a wake-up call. Your ability to care for people is directly connected for your ability to care for yourself and to truly love yourself. There isn't a greater gift on the planet than that, for sure. Thank you so much for your time as a nurse, Terry, but also for your time as an activist and for writing this book. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, sound design and engineering, June Miller and JMC Sound, and Taylor Lockard Research. And National Nurses United and all the nurses on duty today, and of course, our listeners and guests. Take care and visit us at nursetalksite.com or like our Facebook page at Nurse Talk. Nurse Talk.